Welcome to the Fundraising Elevator, where we're all headed up. This podcast is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com, an online learning platform for fundraising event professionals. We're coming to you today from the studios of the AV department. Please welcome our hosts, Kristen Steele and Samantha Swaim. Hello, welcome to the Fundraising Elevator. We're super excited today to be talking to Ryan Brothers about live streaming, one of our favorite topics. We've seen so much changing in the nonprofit world and technology is definitely one of them and live streaming is at the center of it. So um, welcome, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's so great to have you here. I think I'm going to give you an official bio read. (laughs) Ready? Ryan Brothers is an event manager and producer with our production partners, the AV department. Ryan is a seasoned event manager with a passion for live streaming and producing. With over two decades of experience in the event industry, he has successfully managed a diverse array of on-site events and live stream productions, from nonprofit fundraising events and galas to corporate conferences, sporting events, and concerts. Ryan's understanding of live streaming technologies allows him to bring creative technical proficiency to every project, ensuring memorable and engaging experiences for all participants. Ryan and the, t- and the team at AV Department were fundamental in helping hundreds of nonprofit organizations pivot into virtual and hybrid events. So we have invited Ryan to join us today to talk about the power of live streaming. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. Yeah, I don't know that the diverse array is an accurate description of the like 90,000 live streams you've executed in just the past three years, but we'll call it a diverse array. All right. Yeah, I like it. Let's start big, big, big picture. What is live streaming? Sure. Live streaming is really audio, video, or both um, broadcasts using the internet. That's that's it at its basic roots. What are some practical, everyday ways that people may have already seen live streaming happen in their life? Well, it's certainly everywhere. Um, nowadays, you have a new influx of sports being live streamed. You're streaming companies like, you know, Amazon or Netflix partnering with these different organizations to get live streams directly to folks' homes. Um, Concerts just started being live streamed. Apple partnered with Lollapalooza this year. Um, And of course, what we work with most is nonprofits being live streamed. So it's everywhere you look. I got a notification just a couple of minutes ago of uh, a Twitch, you know, person that I follow who just started live streaming that I could click a button on my phone and be part of that live stream chat with that person. So yeah, it's, it's in your, it's in your pocket now. It's the water we swim in. It is. I'm actually glad you said Twitch because Twitch is something that's happening in the nonprofit sector in a really interesting way. It's mostly happening from third parties like mega fans of a nonprofit's mission or someone who wants to be an advocate or do good for a specific cause hosting a Twitch stream to raise money. And I just watched one that was during Pride Month that raised in like a 48-hour window, it raised like $4 million. I mean, it was crazy. But I think the thing that immediately comes to my mind is, okay, so that's like a kid in a cell phone? Is that what live streaming is? It could be, if that's what you want. If that's going to help your your brand or your fundraiser, it could be a kid in a cell phone. Um, mostly on Twitch, you have a lot of professionals now that can ha- set up a home studio, much like we're sitting in right now. You can put a green screen behind them. Folks that log in can have their own handle, and it's very interactive on Twitch. So um, you could do that, certainly. Um, if you want to do a, a professional live stream to try to maximize your revenue, you definitely want to hire a team. Um, to help you, you know, structure that show. Uh, you don't want it just to be somebody talking and playing a video game for right. 24 hours, right? That's not going to get you, that might get you $4 million. It has before, I'm sure, with some of the big names out there. Um, but yeah, you really need a team to sort of guide that stream along. You need the right technology, obviously. You need a high internet connection, great cameras. Nobody wants to watch a, you know, poor looking camera shot or listen to bad audio for for that long. So you really need to set yourself up for success. All right. You said two things I want to ask questions about. So you said cameras, which immediately I'm like, oh, live stream cameras. That means everyone is live. Can you play recorded elements, video content? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sort of anything that you could play on your computer, anything that a computer can see, we can find a way to implement that into the live stream. 
So if it's like a donation platform and they have a, a thermometer, they have folks' names that are, you know, coming in in real time as folks donate, we have ways of implementing that into the stream so that it's interactive for your audience at home. If somebody's donating, they see their name pop up. Well, and then you said Wi-Fi, like strong internet connection, and not really Wi-Fi, I suppose, more of a, a hard line connection. So is that really the only difference between broadcasting and live streaming is that you're doing it through the internet versus like through antennas in the air? Yeah, I think like the definition of broadcasting includes live streaming these days, you know, it comes from the days of radio and, and television and antenna. But live streaming is under that umbrella now because it's so popular. Um, it's definitely its own thing because to technically be a live stream, you need to be pushing something out to the world live and specifically using the internet. So it's interesting to think about like everything from the big studio, high def, beautiful live stream content to like the kid at home with their cell phone on an Instagram live or a TikTok live. It feels like all of a sudden there's a whole new scope of opportunity available. So how are you seeing nonprofits use live streaming in their in their planning for their work? Like how are they collaborating with you? Yeah, we... There's a lot of different examples of live streams, you know, especially in the three years that we've been doing this of where we started and where we've come today. Um, you know, my my live streaming partner, Andy, who's on the other side of the wall helping out today, he and I did, Hi, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> um, he and I did a live stream last night um, with a group that sort of combined, you know, what, what used to be just a Zoom meeting that they would record and put on their YouTube channel. Um, so you're, you're sort of like podcast style, webinar style with everybody in their homes. And they combine that into a fundraiser using a, a donation platforms. And then they had keynote speakers brought in from other states. So they took all the different things that they've learned over the last three years and they sort of put them all together. So, you know, for the audience, they get an opportunity to hear, you know, the opinions uh, or the wisdom of one of their keynote speakers. They also have an opportunity to donate in real time and help, you know, impact that organization. So, you know, we see a lot of groups finding new ways to, you know, based on the data that they've received over the years from doing different types of live streams, different fundraisers, what works well, what do people respond to live versus how many people watch it after. And they sort of get to pick and choose their best segments to construct a really nice show. You brought the audience into the room, and I wanted to kind of riff on that a little bit and think about for sort of the guest or in, in fundraising events, sort of that donor, what what is enhanced for them with a live stream experience? Sort of when we, you know, some organizations, it's like they have to get approval or get people on board with the idea or what that is. Sort of when we think about it from the donor perspective, what's the advantage there? Well, for, for the donor, you know, there's groups that are, you know, localized to one city. There's groups that have affiliate organizations. Um, there's groups that just do virtual live streaming. And then, of course, hybrid live streaming where you can live stream really what's happening in the room uh, at a physical location or, you know, banquet hall. Um, so the donor has options, I think, more than anything. Um, the donor, you know, a lot of the nonprofits we work with want those big donors who come back year after year. They want those folks in person, and those folks usually like being in person a lot of the times. But now they have the option of if they're out of state, if they're part of the organization in some way and they help out across the other side of the country, it makes more sense sometimes for folks to save that money on the, the plane ticket and donate that and be able to watch from home. But not only that, if that donor is, you know, affiliated or a board of, you know, part of the board of directors, we can bring that person into that live stream as well if that were, you know, part of their, you know, part of the construct of their show. So if we have a hybrid event, we can put a monitor or use a projection screen to link up somebody that's part of the organization that can't attend um, for whatever reason and now get to hear from them in all the different worlds in person and in the live stream. You did something really interesting with us. A couple, you've done many things interesting with us, but one really <laughs> recently that I think is kind of the future of where we're going to start to see a lot of hybrid events going, which is that we were able to take an organization that serves a broad, vast, expansive 
five different states, I think, and tie all of those together into one event. And we were able to have speakers in different locations hosting different parts of the same program that everyone was tuning into. So we had a speaker that was here in studio with a small audience, and then we had a speaker that was in a ballroom in front of a gala audience, and they were able to toss it back and forth and be able to talk to each other and host the program live from multiple locations, which... I think I first saw that with like the height of the pandemic. We're just beginning to see like groups of 25 or less gather. And the Golden Globes hosted Tina Fey and Amy Poehler on two different stages. And they had some fun bits where they tried to like interact with each other virtually. But I came to you all and was thinking we have all these organizations that have regional representation statewide, national, international representation. Is there a way that we can do this? And you all proved sort of the proof of concept last week. And I just think we have so many organizations that could benefit from that opportunity to put all of their effort and planning, all of their storytelling effort into one event that ties all of their locations together. Yeah, that was fun. And, you know, that that was the brainchild of you all at Swim Strategy. So we appreciate you pushing us to figure out how to do that. Um, that's something that we wanted to do for a long time as well. We've done versions of that, but that was certainly, you know, executed really professionally. You know, shout out to the team that's behind the scenes um, that figured out how to do yeah, that, right? Because yeah. it is Absolutely. super complicated. You know, the the, the routing and, and the video work and the encoding that needs to happen for, you know, zero latency or, you know, the the smallest amount of time from when I say something until they hear it in the next state over, right? Because if you watch the Golden Globe show, which I did, yeah. those couple of those award shows try different, you know, things like that. Some of the folks that won those awards, there was, you know, five, six second delays. Uh-huh. So the entire crowd's going crazy and they don't even know they won yet. So right. yeah, that was that was the big hurdle that we were, you know, thankful that we were able to overcome and it worked really well. I love that show. My my favorite takeaway from that show, I don't think we've even chatted about this part, was that we were here, uh, my team uh, was in Portland and we had an in-studio audience. Um, the crowd was the best crowd we've ever had in here. They were cheering really loudly. They're really energetic. Um, we had some great hosts that were getting them riled up and excited to donate at certain parts of the show. Um, because we had, you know, great, great audio in the room and microphones, you know, it turned out that the Seattle crew could even hear our audience over there as part of the show, which is something I didn't think of. And so that kind of played off the other crowd. So when folks that were donating in Seattle were recognized here in Portland, you could hear that crowd cheer as well. So it actually felt like we had two audiences in two different cities all as one and sort of competing with each other for the most energy. So well, yeah, Kristen, you watched that show. I did. I at watched home. that show from home. So I was working sort of enough, another aspect of it online. And um, it was the most cohesive show experientially for me that I had been a part of from that vantage point. Um, and it, you know, I often talk about sort of the intimacy comes from uh, eliminating the perceived distance. Um, between me and what's happening. And so when I'm watching through a screen, there's a potential for things to be really, really close and intimate. But also when you start getting big rooms full of people and all those things, it could feel like I'm just sort of this fly on the wall over here Mm -hmm. and I'm sort of flatly watching what's happening. And that event didn't feel that way. Um, And so I've been kind of continuing to try and parse that apart to figure out like what was that magic sauce that made it feel I mean we had all those locations and all those voices and all those people and vi- mix of video live people on stage that sort of thing and yet it just felt so almost like it was happening in the room with me which was really incredible yeah I think I think that the credit goes to you know your team um, and the, to the folks that directed you know the the different cities to make that come together because you need to construct how that show's going to work. You can't just say, we're gonna put a camera and microphone in two cities, have fun. Right. You need to script it pretty heavily, right? You need to create segments where we toss it back from one audience or one speaker in one city to the next. Right. And you know, I think the most important thing for us on the AV side of things is making sure that we have enough time. Like time is like the ultimate tool in our toolkit that we need. Like. You mentioned like sort of that window under the room, the fly in the wall. 
we do that sort of stream too, you know, for nonprofits that may be on a, a certain budget, they can afford, you know, four cameras and a, a highly produced event, and they want to focus on really in the room. And then if they expect 20 to 30 people, you know, to watch that live stream it may not be worth doing that. So we can just set up that one camera, they can attend and watch the event, right? So that would be like your, your kind of conference or more in the room, uh, you know, fly in the wall hybrid. Um, so when you elaborate on these things, right? So like I said, mentioned before, over three years, folks are combining all their favorite elements. Uh -huh. It makes things so much more complicated, um, really just because of the amount of time that we have to put it together, right? Because as you know, the live stream itself and what the viewers see has graphics, it has video, it has audio checks that need to happen. And then now we have double the amount of tech checks and because we have two different cities. Um, and then being able to communicate with these different folks and, and so they understand how do we cue them to go live? What is their cue? How do they throw it back? What's their cue to tell us that the video needs to play right after their sentence is over? So um, we definitely learned a lot. You know, we learn a lot after every stream that we do. But I think um, I think that one we had a great amount of time to, you know, conceive it with you yeah. and make it happen. So you mentioned a couple of things, and I want to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about, you said costs, and you said elements involved. So I want to get into like the nitty gritty of live streaming. So we'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll jump into those things. The Fundraising Elevator is recorded at the AV Department in Portland, Oregon. For years, they've been our trusted partner, delivering exceptional audiovisual production and videography for nonprofits. In 2020, they transformed into a dynamic live streaming studio, producing more than 900 virtual and hybrid events. Now, we embark on an exciting journey together to bring you this podcast. Seeking the best in live events, video production, and live streaming? We proudly recommend our friends at the AV department. Link in the episode description. All right, welcome back. Let's dive into some of the like specifics of live streaming. So um, big question first. Big question. I think a lot of organizations, you know, live streaming is the thing. It's sort of a buzzy thing right in there with hybrid events. And I think some organizations are even trying to figure out why would we live stream? Do we need to live stream? What are we missing? Do we, how do we talk about this? What is that? So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about sort of what organizations um, should be examining to think about if this is a tool that, that that they should utilize. Yeah, I yes, I think you should be live streaming. Um, I think at the very least, groups have learned to at least have a camera on site. That's the big thing that has changed, um, you know, post COVID, if you will, is that even if they don't want to live stream or don't find the need, um, they. It's, it's important to have a camera there to at least record it, you know, for historical purposes, to use that video to post, you know, small snippets on social media, um, to look back on that event and see what worked and what didn't. How can we yeah. improve for next year? Yeah. So that, I think that's step one. Like, think about having a camera at the very least at your event. Um, for live streaming, uh, I think it's always worth giving it a shot if you haven't already, um, because, you know, a lot of groups have gain notoriety through live streaming because they've reached a broader audience. Yeah. You know, of course, live streaming is a world, it can be worldwide. You can watch it yep. anywhere. You can get, you know, a screen and an internet connection. Um, and beyond that, it's more accessible than ever, right? So um, a lot of the shows that we work on with Swaim Strategies uh, has captions involved. Um, you can, you know, create captions that go on the stream video itself or yeah. an optional, you know, embeddable widget on your uh, website or your landing page. You can AI translate that into as many other languages as you want uh, for groups that are, you know, focused on bilingual um, elements. So um, and then the new thing now is there's technology coming on every day. The newest one being you can use AI to translate someone's uh, voice into a different language voice. That's amazing. And actually, you know, say it back to you, right? So if you're watching at home... You can uh, hear it in another language. Exactly, yeah. We Is were, it just like a selection of a button? Is it that easy? We haven't tried this yet. Okay, um, okay. We're actually demoing it, I think, Monday. Um, okay. So we're, we're anxious to see, you know, what it actually feels like, what it, you know, how do we, yeah. how do we hear it, what are our options. But 
Um, and, and those things will only perfect themselves over time. But um, we also work with groups that serve folks with Parkinson's or ALS. Those are, you know, their patients, the people that they're raising money for, sometimes can't physically go on location yeah. to attend an event. Um, so from the comfort of their home, it makes more sense for them to watch these. We, we work with a group called the Brian Grant Foundation here in yeah. Portland. We do a monthly series with them. They have new speakers uh, every month, and these could be medical professionals here in Portland. But they can also invite medical professionals, much like a podcast could, um, from any other you know region of the world to have their comments you know in this live stream for repeat viewers. So every yeah. time that they're watching it, they learn something. And on top of that, they have you know movement and exercise programs from different you know yoga instructors or medical professionals. So. These folks, you know, the, the attendees really learn a lot, and it's something they couldn't actually get while going in person once a year for just a gala. Well, my mom is actually in Palm Springs and has Parkinson's, and oh, wow. she tunes into yeah. those. And it would have been something that, first, she never would have been able to get access to before, mm -hmm. but it also would have been so limiting for the organization. You know, I think that in gala world that we come from, so often we're limited by this ballroom only fits 500 people. So now we have to think about who exactly are those 500 people and we have to say no to some people. And then we also have things like snowbirders who aren't in the city at the time because they're traveling. I mean, we've been traveling before and tuned in like sitting in a winery, having a glass of wine. Or That like, makes us sound super bougie. Oh, you know, <laughs> but we've, we were camping in that winery. But <laughs> if, you know, we can be traveling, we can be somewhere else and still tune in. There was a group of us that was on an event site setting up a gala in another city, watching an event that the other half of us were producing in another city. And we were able to have like our cell phones and laptops open and tune in and watch and see how it was going while we were doing the setup on another site. So just like access on a whole nother level, talking about just inclusion on a new level, but also reach and the ability to, you know, connect to people that are traveling, who are snowbirds, who are not comfortable in public space, you know, any number of things. Yeah. But also demand. I think if there's anything we've learned during the pandemic, it's that um, the th you can't put genies back in the bottle, right? <laughs> and so during the pandemic, so much was coming to us through screens and our access to things was sort of, un I mean, I was buying tickets to live stream concerts in other cities that I couldn't go to. And so um, that doesn't go away, right? You've trained me that that's possible. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think people are coming to events and to organizations and saying, like, I, I don't have to do that anymore. I right. don't have to get dressed up for five hours and park and go. Like, could there be another way? Let me tune in in my PJs, please. I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> well, you mentioned cost before the break. So I want to ask, what is a reasonable expectation? Well... It depends on how much tech you want to involve in your live stream, right? So, um, you know, at, at its core roots, someone could live stream their Zoom, right? You could partner with a donation platform, for example, if you're a fundraiser. Yeah. And a lot of these donation platforms have the ability to, you know, embed your live stream there. And that could be a Zoom. A lot of them accept like a Zoom code. And you could actually just start it and have a discussion and end it as simple as that. Um, but if you, you know, want it to be professionally handled and somebody to guide you through the process and, and show you examples of what we've done in the past, um, you know, get you set up with script templates and, you know, so you understand the file formats of things that we need, like slides and videos. You know, we, we at the AV department, since we started this thing, haven't really changed our pricing uh, because we serve predominantly nonprofit organizations. Yeah. So we've always been, you know, our, our, our live stream cost starts at $3,500. Um, for certain types of live streams, um, because I mentioned they are getting more and more complex, and they're bringing in, you know, we've had we've had uh, shows that have had you know twenty different speakers over six hours, right? So the cost can adjust, obviously. And then of course, if you add the hybrid element, it's a little different because you need crew to be behind cameras and things like that. So, yeah, we try to you know keep that thirty five hundred dollar price point for folks. It works really well because you know for smaller nonprofit organizations that is a lot cheaper than renting out a ballroom, right? So yeah. it, it can make a lot more sense as a first step, you know, in growing that donor base. Yeah, I think, I mean, when you say $3,500 price point, I'm immediately like, why wouldn't you include this? Because it's such a an element that even at the lowest price point, the most basic live stream just creates a whole new 
entry point for folks. And when and also goodwill. Yeah. You know, I think some people get into the, I don't know if I'll have $3,500 worth of donors tuned right. in. It's like, yeah. it doesn't matter. If yeah. the two people that tuned in felt like they could be a part of something sure. and included, that's a whole different relationship yeah. you're starting. We had an organization just a couple of weeks ago that they have a staff of 85 people. If they put all 85 people and their spouses in a room, their ballroom would be filled. And yet they were all so proud of the event and so proud to be a part of it. And most of them were tuning in virtually. Yeah. The amount of times that I I encounter new groups that, you know, find us and want to talk about live streaming say, we did it this way last year and it was a disaster. I, I can't even count how many times because mm. they try, you know, they don't have the time or the resources sometimes to understand how some of this technology works or yeah. all the different YouTube settings that need to be clicked in order for it to go out successfully or close the chat or keep the chat open and these things. So, yeah, I hear it quite a bit that, you know, we, we tried to do it ourselves, but, you know, and, and they come to us for help. Yeah, I mean, I think you quite simply you could probably the easiest way to live stream on your own is through like a Zoom type stream where you have everyone tuned into the same call. But I think the layers of what you can add, which kind of taps into what you were mentioning before the elements just starts to create a level of professionalism that actually is easier to observe. It's easier to take in. It's easier to be a part of. So when you think of those elements, you mentioned a few of them, thermometers and overlays. Can you just talk about like what's possible in the live streaming space when you're working with a streaming team that's a production team? Yeah. So it's, you know, I mentioned before, whatever a computer screen can really see, we can find a way to implement that into the live stream. I'm actually surprised that we haven't seen more of that because you have things like polls and gaming yeah. um, that are available, you know, different websites and softwares um, that became popular during COVID that I think folks are sort of nervous or it's overwhelming to include all these different elements in right. a stream or they're nervous that not enough people will be watching. So not enough people will participate in some of these different things that we can implement. But um, we can essentially incorporate anything into the stream that that makes sense right so a lot of folks when we talk about zoom and live streaming you know some of their preconceived notions are are all the viewers in the zoom with us no right. no, no. Mm -hmm. the zoom is just for us to you know sort of extract your video and audio feed and put it into a nicely you know painted picture based on your branding and whatever font that makes sense for this event um but yeah we try to to specify what that live stream looks like for the audience based on everything that they're trying to emote for their audience, their, the colors, the shapes of the graphic overlays, um, how many people are talking on screen? How do you want that oriented? Do you want, you know, fun? Do you want confetti? All right. these different virtual, like sort of, we call them overlays, anything that can overlay on the screen and, and you know, provide some fun uh, while people are watching at home more than just sort of hearing the story. Can we talk a little bit um, in a little bit more detail too about the nicely painted picture, sure. which is sort of the the live stream page, that frame, and sort of some of the the pieces that are on there for folks who haven't maybe experienced that, and what tools can be on there as well. Yeah. So, yeah, when we talk about live streaming, you know, we're taking video feeds, we're taking audio, and we're putting it into a streaming service. We use Vimeo as our primary driver for these things. You can also use YouTube, right? Those are really the, the two most popular. And Twitch was another one we mentioned. We don't use that as frequently just because I think most people in the donor, you know, the fundraiser world don't know Twitch yeah. so commonly. Um, so when you have that video window, that live stream, you need to put that somewhere. We can really put that anywhere you're comfortable putting it. So it could be on your .org, on their actual, you know, website, on an event page that they create, but they also need a web admin to know how that all gets embedded in, you know, the sizing. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. a lot of times we've heard, yeah, we know we know how to put a video. And then it's like, well, we forgot that the chat needs to be like this, you know, HTML code that. So um, what we commonly do for live streams is we offer that service to just make a landing page for them. So a landing page is just a one-stop shop website. It's yeah. the hub of the stream. And we like to do that. And nonprofits, after they've done it, they like us to do that because <laughs> we're completely in control of it, right? So um, nothing's going to go wrong. We have, you know, we have Nathan, who's our landing page designer, who's so good at his job in taking that branding and painting that picture. So when you go to this site, that's a new site that these folks never would have gone to. They're used right. to going, you know, nonprofit.org, right? Now they go to this new site. It looks exactly like they were expecting it to. It has all the information that they need. 
you know, a lot of the sites we work on with Swaim Strategies will have the countdown clocks, you know, exactly mm -hmm. when the live stream is going to start. There's a chat window that's optional that you can put there so folks can chat during the pre-show, you know, tell each other where they're checking in from and how excited they are. Um, and then there's so many other things you can put on that page. You don't want to overload it with too much, right? Because you don't want it to be a distraction from what the event is, that live stream video window right. that's there. But that's where things like captions can exist, you know, additional sponsor recognition. Um, and yeah, yeah, the sky's the limit of, you know, the, the links to donate obviously being the most important one. But again, it's we can create a landing page or a hub of the live stream. Yeah. So the attendees can watch there, donate there, and really not have to leave or, you know, introduce three different screens just to participate. Perfect. Yeah. One of our sort of secret tools with you all has been that we utilize a lot of platforms, fundraising platforms, but we dissect them with you because like you said, anything that can show up on a website, we can pull into the stream. And it's allowed us to do some things where we can take the thermometer and we can have it look exactly how we want it to look. And we can take the name recognition coming in and we can have that look where within the giving platform, it might just be one static look and we don't have a lot of options and it's this big bulky thing. We can kind of customize it with you all by dissecting those pieces. And then you've even helped us to figure out how do we mirror that look and create the opportunity that if we have a donor who's not tuned in giving live, but we know that they're giving, we can cue that recognition and show that recognition. So you've helped us to think through how do we take the tools and what's possible and then expand on that to meet the need of recognition in the moment, grow, helping to really like motivate and inspire the giving. And also, when is it like the right choice to have a button versus having information or an overlay on the screen like you've helped us to really understand what's possible and that the the two streams that I've done where we haven't used one of your landing pages because we've been in a software which all these amazing platforms are coming out with streaming as an option these donation tools giving tools all now have streaming as an option as soon as we gave up that control we were sort of at the whim of hopefully it yeah. works and we found all of these moments where I was like it's frozen and there's nothing we can do until the software is I can't call Ryan right no. now. <laughs> and I'm looking at you and you're going, that is not us. We have no control over that. Yeah. You know, we had a software that was making an update an hour before our mm -hmm. event and we couldn't test if the stream was working. Yeah. So I am a huge fan of the fact that you also, for, you know, very affordable price point, are offering nonprofits a really simple solution that's all in one. Yeah. We, it just makes it so much easier. We want to be control freaks about it, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah. the key word that you mentioned was queuing things on, right? So like if some of these donation platforms that you can put that Zoom in or you can try your own live stream in there, you can't queue anything in that. It is what it is. It has, it may have too much information. It may be overload. You may not be, in, be able to bring that video full screen if you want to watch things, you know, close and personal. When you take all those elements away and put them into the live stream on demand, right? And we're following a script that says, this is when it makes sense to show the thermometer. Right. This is when it makes sense to remove the thermometer because an important message or important video that we want everyone's attention just focused on these things, that makes the most sense. And then after that segment, we can click a button and bring that thermometer back into the live stream. I think that customization has really helped um, you know, pro highly produce some of these events. Yeah. You've also given us the tool of being able to say no to things like we've had uh, fundraising in the moment happening. And all of a sudden, there is just a drop in the giving. And we're like, what's happening? And you've been able to pull that thermometer off, look, make the production look super seamless. So we're not just staring at that thermometer not moving until we see the giving start to happen again. And then all of a sudden, it's like, there it is. And it feels exciting and momentous to see it climb versus sitting there waiting for like seven minutes <laughs> while yeah. you're waiting for the giving to pick back up. And, you know, we have started to design events where sometimes we're doing like a telethon model where it's giving throughout the whole program. And other times we're doing more of a gala style model where we have a moment that's dedicated to giving. And those choices are based on sort of how big their audience is, who's in the room, how many people are engaged. But um, it, in the telethon model, we often find surprises of things that motivate and inspire giving. Sometimes the executive director's speech, you'll see a flurry of giving. Mm -hmm. And because you all have control of the thermometer, when you see that flurry happening, you've been able to pull it up and use that as a motivator to the rest of the audience mm -hmm. tuning in. So it's been pretty amazing to see the fact that we can control 
the information where when we're in one of the giving platforms, we don't always have that control. You know, mm -hmm. the the donor is as much in the know and we're not able to sort of help use those moments of momentum to help catalyze the fundraising. So yeah. the production element adds to that for sure. What do you think as someone who also watches live stream, what should a great live stream experience feel like? For you watching it, when do you know that's happening? It's a tough question. Uh, what you do know I too much. Yeah. That's, that's probably the problem. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I, I guess I know it could look like anything. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, like a good live stream to me in, in the nonprofit sector specifically is one that is is easy to understand. Yeah. You're not overloaded with too much. You know, I, I always try to tell the groups I work with, you know, f definitely focus on the marketing, focus on getting the maximum amount of people to watch that stream. But when it comes to the day of show, let us worry about everything else. Just be there for rehearsal and we'll guide you. We'll ask you those questions. Can we take the thermometer down if, you know, if we're not seeing a lot of activity and put it right? So um, I think just entrusting in us um, to, you know, form that live stream into something I, I don't know, sort of lost my tr train of thought there, but. Um, well, I think the thing that's interesting to me is that when you're, when you're able to easily access it, when there's no barrier to participation, mm -hmm. when it's as easy as turning on the TV and the things that are coming up on the screen are actually informative. You know, I grew up in the era of pop-up windows and MTV music videos and things like that. But what you're doing is more like a news broadcast. It's you're giving me the information I need to follow along. So when you're indicating that there's a chat and join the chat, there's an arrow that's showing up and pointing the chat to me. Um, you mentioned earlier confetti. We were talking about like elements and you've helped us to like elevate the brand of an organization mm -hmm. through literally the confetti choice so that <laughs> it's an opportunity for us to sort of capitalize on the excitement of fundraising and then highlight this moment of like we reached a goal or we hit that match and have that confetti actually match the brand of the organization we've had we had a, a, an event featuring animals and we had dog bones as the <laughs> confetti we yeah. had an event that works on hunger and we had spoons as the confetti yeah. so the e to me a good live stream is easy to participate in, and then every element on the stream is making it more accessible. Is like helping us figure out how to participate. Our number one phone call we used to get from tech support line. I think we've educated audiences yeah. enough that they're not doing tech, this. Tech support's quieter now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but tech support used to get the call all the time. Am I gonna be on camera? Really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it was like they're, no, they're you like just I've get taped over my camera. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Like, totally. That's great. It's totally fine. All right. Well, we're gonna come back in just a minute. Dive into kind of the last what an organization needs to do to be able to adopt these things. But we'll be back to talk live streaming with Ryan in just a minute. Loving the fundraising elevator, but wondering how you can talk to Sam and Kristen? Well, now's your chance to do it. Book one-on-one -on -one consulting time with Swain Strategies experts, Sam, Kristen, and Mary, and get all your event questions answered. Our team has you covered on strategic planning, fundraising strategy, storytelling, data tools, and registration support. Get the tools and the help you need to make the most impact at your fundraising event. Book at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes. All right, Ryan, let's get in the fundraising elevator. We're going to go up to the penthouse okay. and, and talk about a party. So talk to us about a, a great party or a great event that you were a part of and what made it great. Great party. Um... You know, it's always, I come from a big music background. It's always fun when we have music involved in the uh, live streams. It's one of the more difficult things it to is. do, right? Um, <laughs> I know, as soon as you said music. I with multiple my, like, musicians, right? Oh, that's, yeah, we don't even go there. No, it is possible, though, of course. Um, that's becoming more popular. And you saw that during COVID, too, yeah. that folks tried to figure out. I watched some, you know, a, a cool Post Malone video where four different famous musicians, right, formed a, a band to do Nirvana cover songs in four different cities. And I was like, how is this even working, right? Yeah. And we're learning how to do those things. Um, but of course, I wasn't a part of that. But the, 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 yeah, the fun ones for me always have music involved. 
sort of entertainment, right? So we spoke about Pride Foundation. You know, I, I consider Poison Waters, who is uh-huh. our, our host. That's pure entertainment. Yeah. The entire crew is always cracking up the entire time and when Poison comes in for a show. So, um, yeah, they, you know, a lot of the, the elements that we do for nonprofits are, you know, pretty serious events. So, um, you know, adding some levity to it is fun. Like we talked about confetti or a great host, somebody that can crack you up, you know, during the show. Uh, a great auctioneer on stage that can really, you know, bring the crowd to life is it kind of makes it fun for everybody. So yeah. you talked about music. And before we leave the party, I want to ask you specifically, why is music hard? Music is hard because the distance things need to travel, you know, through cables and through the internet and up to satellites and back down the way that these things are, you know, encoded and sent back and forth. Um, as a musician, you need to keep time, right? And you can't, you can do that really well in the room, but it's very hard to do that over, you know, when people have different equipment, you know, all four musicians may have had different headphones and they may have had different interfaces and they're all taking things at different milliseconds that could mess them all up. So I'm still confused at how they did it, you know, but, um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to keep timing really. And, you know, we talked about when we did Pride Foundation, Seattle, in Portland, it was about, you know, around a second, but that's totally, people are used to that, right? Yeah, watch we the see news. that on the news. You yeah. see the satellite truck out in front of a courthouse and it's yeah. like a second or two. So that's that's the, the sort of um, benchmark that we're trying to hit. So I thought you were going to talk about the fact that music is hard because of digital licensing. Can, oh, I can talk about yeah, that. Yeah, because that's where my heart rate yeah. goes up whenever <laughs> we talk about music is the complication of recorded music. Or licensing. Sure, yeah. Well, yeah, the music industry in general is actually really slow to get into the live streaming game because it's controlled by very few companies, right? And, you know, you have your your record labels that have bands signed. Those bands have sync licensing, um, which means only their music, their music can only be played in a certain way. You know, they partner with Spotify. They partner with Pandora. So they get these royalties every right. time they're yeah. played, right? So um, with the the uh, devices that we use to stream like Vimeo or YouTube, they are beholden to make sure that these artists get paid. So they have bots and algorithms that look for licensed music being played. So, you know, folks will often make a really great video and put a famous artist, you know, whoever you're thinking Mm -hmm. of. Yeah, we've Mm -hmm. heard it all. Yeah, Mm -hmm. pick pick any pop artist that you think is going to be great for this video. Yeah, can we get Beyonce to do the intro? Absolutely not. We can't. No, because we don't want the stream to get shut down. We would love for that to be the case. But we we have no sophisticated way yet, and nor do these. It's because of these websites to tell YouTube we got permission from Beyonce to play this for this nonprofit organization. They're not going to, it's yeah. not like a text message you can send, right? So their bots are looking for sound waves and, and lyrics and actually being able yeah. to match that up and they will shut down your stream. So, yeah, we have to take that very seriously. But, you know, some, so to clarify, mm-hmm. your event will stop. It will stop. Yes. Yeah. The it, fundraising will stop. If you're doing a professional event, Yes. And you do this, it'll stop. Yeah. Great. We had an <laughs> event we were doing with you all with a keynote speaker, and the keynote speaker brought a presentation. And it never occurred to me that that presentation might include audio and mm. video. And uh, it was the end of the event. Thank goodness. <laughs> we had finished all of our fundraising. And um, as he starts to introduce a segment of his presentation, I just go white and I'm like, oh my God, this is like the color draining from my face as the music is coming on and I know it's going to stop the stream and it stopped the stream. But the bot also was paying attention to when it ended because the second the music ended, the stream came back mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. So we I, that is not guaranteed to happen, but it paused the stream instead yeah. of like ending it permanently, which I was grateful for. Uh- can I tell another horse? Yeah, say? please. We we were doing a sporting event, uh-huh. and we went. Oh, that's right. We went live to the two uh, hosts, right? Uh-huh. The two commentators, right? And they were in the booth pregame. But what we didn't re- realize is that the mics were picking up the music out in the on the stadium. field. So yeah. some ACDC was oh, no. way low volume under their voices. But the bot figured out that that was a licensed piece of music. Yeah. And thankfully, the whole stream went out OK. But once it was over, it decided to wait after the three-hour game to lock their entire YouTube account, which had <sighs> which had sporting events from lots of teams. So that's a, that's a horror story. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I think so for us jumping in the fundraising elevator, we like to go to the penthouse and talk about the party, but we also like to go down to the boiler room and talk about uh, how it all works. So um, what are the tools or the resources that you're using when you're live streaming? How are you like, what are the components that you're bringing to the table? Yeah, I think ultimately it's video production software is what we use the most. So like I mentioned before with Zoom, we can use Zoom as a tool. We can put um, the live stream in there as what you'd call like a reference monitor so that if you have five people in that Zoom and then one of those folks appears in a designed you know, window, we'll tell them that means you're live. That's your confidence monitor to remind you that's when you're right. live. It also helps people if there's a webinar style conversation know that when we take a different shot and somebody answering a question, those other folks are not live so they can fix their hair, take a drink of water, things like that until they're put back on the screen. Um, so, you know, we use a lot of video production software. That's what raises the bar of what we're doing, right? That's what's going to get those graphic overlays, the fun confetti, <laughs> the thermometers and anything else you can think of in the stream. Um, I think the most important tool um, that I'll reiterate is just lots of time. To, to not think that just because you finished putting your run of show together, you know, you'll meet us, you know, an hour before yeah. the event starts, right? We want to make sure we understand the show that you're trying to produce with us. We want to know, we want you to know how all these cues are going to take place. How are you going to know when you're live other than just seeing yourself in a window, right? We don't want you looking around. We want you to be able to look at the screen, make yeah. it look like you're reading a script if, you know, if you can't look directly into the camera and things like that. So just give us a lot of time as, as your organization hopefully grows so too will the dynamics of your live streaming. And that's just going to mean more and more time that we'll want with you for rehearsal. And in some cases, we'll set up in spaces the day before and we'll get everybody there and do the entire show, you know, show. once through yeah. Q to Q and then everybody will feel a lot more comfortable on day of show. Well, you're streaming often to two locations, Vimeo and YouTube, and we have on multiple occasions leverage that as our solution should one of those not be working. So having things streamed to multiple locations, I think also is kind of a tool that you all have in your toolbox is that you're simulcasting. Yeah. And that way, if we have any issue that's happening outside of our control, but is YouTube based, we know that we have it also on Vimeo or vice versa. Yeah. Always have backups for sure. Yeah. And just like that, that sporting event that got locked, we always record a backup onto the computer we're streaming from. So we have a version that's recorded. We can do versions that have captions and have don't don't have captions simultaneously if you want to post, you know, different versions in other places. So yeah, just like YouTube and, and Vimeo, we have yeah. backups of everything. Yeah. We just had before we came to this uh podcast conversation, <laughs> we just had um the router box ripped out of our office by accident by our neighbor who ripped our internet router out and we all were in the middle of Zoom calls there and a meetings lot of Zoom and they calls. all just went down. And I thought to myself, well, if this was a live stream, the stream would go down for yeah. a moment, <laughs> but we would have a recording and by the time the event was over, the backup recording would be up and visible, which I do think is one of the most brilliant things you yeah. all do is the second the feed is over, it's on-demand viewing. Yeah. So if someone's tuning in late, got the wrong time, we see tons of viewership happen after the event. I always say it kind of has like a tail. You know, we see it like taper off over a couple of days, but lots of view views that come afterwards. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of historical record of everything, right? You get yeah. a recorded version of what just happened. And a lot of times for the executive directors or, you know, the folks that put in a lot of effort to construct these run of shows with you or with us they don't get a second to enjoy the show or, under, right. or yeah. they're just they're, they're in it they're adding technical support and <laughs> yeah. they're making uh -huh. sure the donations are all going through and that we're doing our jobs right so uh, yeah usually the three things that we send people when the stream is over is a downloadable copy of your stream so you can download it and have it as part of your records uh, a transcript of the chat, right? So mm -hmm. you, all those messages and people saying who they were and where they're checking in from, you can, you know, sort of enjoy that and see, you know, use that for marketing purposes yeah. or putting your, you know, donations. Um, and then... Uh, analytics. And, uh, exactly. Yeah. Right analytics. Data. That's my favorite part. Yeah. So <laughs> that one, that one certainly needs to improve. We get sort of basic analytics with these services. Um, you know, we can't really pull more out of what they give us, but we can at least see... Um, what all the way down to the county level of where folks are watching per state. 
And then we can, of course, also see uh, this is all based on IP addresses, but what countries sometimes yeah. if you have an uh, international audience. Uh, and then, of course, if it's a long stream, sometimes folks get data of where did they see viewership start to dip. Mm -hmm. And that can tell people or maybe that stream was too long and next year would just do a 45 minute yeah. fundraiser. It's so great feedback for, for folks in developing the program. For yeah, sure. there's a lot of yeah. good data. Uh, uh, we're huge data people, obviously, being AV uh, oriented. So, you know, like those groups that have picked and chosen different things from past events to make their, you know, 2023, 2024 models, that comes from that data. Yeah. Well, the data also informs fundraising, actually, because the analytics help us to understand the viewership and the actual, like, eyes on the content that then we can report back to our sponsors about what value they got sure. for their sponsorship. Mm -hmm. So that's been a big plus of adding live streaming elements. You know, in an event, we used to be able to count, well, there were 400 people in the event, so 400 eyes saw your content, your logos, and your support. But now we can go beyond that and see, you know, we had 300 people click on the website. We had, you know, eight, eight, 80 viewers that were tuned in live. We had another 80 that watched after the event. We can give them all of that sort of feedback as a thank you to their sponsorship, which mm. makes the case for them coming back yep. often. And a lot yep. of the times those numbers are showing you less than what's even there, right? When folks yeah. are having watch parties. Yeah. <laughs> we've seen photos come in, right, of, of watch parties with 20, sometimes up to 50 people. And it's like yeah. that one click is actually right. 50 people. So right. it's at the bare minimum of what you're seeing sometimes. Right. I always assume there's at least two people in the house right. watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you for talking live streaming with us. I think it's a tool that organizations are just starting to understand what's possible. We used it as a solution in the moment of need. And now organizations are building it into their plan. Um, we have a couple of organizations that are doing everything from Instead of uh, monthly member meetings, they're and they converted to monthly Zoom webinars, and now they're doing monthly live streams instead because the live stream is just like such a higher end production quality. We've seen organizations use it as a donor stewardship tool. We're seeing events at all broadcast through live streaming. So, I think we're going to see more in the live streaming space. I think that it's going to be something that folks start to adopt for a lot of other reasons, not just for their gala event, but for any number of things that they want to get out there. So thank you for sharing a little bit with our audience about what's possible with live streams. Yeah, honored to be here. Thank you. How do folks get a hold of you? Uh, well, Because they're all going to want uh -huh. to now. Uh, website is the A-V-D-E-P-T, the A-V-D-E-P-T.com. Uh, my email address is ryan.brothers at the A-V-D-E-P-T.com. Right. Out, yeah, we're, and I'm happy to consult with folks for free and, you know, educate them just like this. Awesome. Fantastic. We Thanks appreciate so the partnership that you all yeah. offer the nonprofit community. I think that um, there's a lot of production companies out there doing a lot of things for a lot of money. And you all kind of show up as thought partners in the nonprofit space, helping nonprofits navigate what's possible at affordable price points. So we really appreciate that. Well, thank you, Swaim Strategies, Kristen, Sam. You push us to learn how to do some of these things that we wouldn't normally have done, like groups with affiliate, you know, other cities yeah. having different keynote speakers come to us, you know, via a, a different internet connection. So thank you for pushing us to enhance our product. Wait, there's more coming. Oh, okay. Big ideas coming your way. <laughs> the good news. Okay. The good yeah. news. We appreciate you and we appreciate your partnership. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. The Fundraising Elevator is produced in partnership with Swaim Strategies at the studios of the AV department. The program is produced by April Clark and directed by Steve Osborne, with audio engineering and original music by Dwayne Anderson and Heidi Christensen. Video production by Chris Peterson, Whitney Gomes, and Nathan Bouquet. Video editing by Steve Osborne. Graphic design by Pendulum Creative Group and support from Sophia Keller, John Lyles, and Andy Dowsett.